Because the truth of the matter is, if you learn how to deal with a hard set of squats, then that bleeds over into other areas of life. Then you learn how to deal with a hard issue at work, which might help you deal with a hard issue at home, which might help you deal with that phone call you get at two o'clock in the morning where like someone that you deeply care about, you have a real problem in your life now and you need to learn how to deal with it. And if you haven't learned how to persevere instead of just quit when things get hard, then that could crush you. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to gym owner, YouTuber, and Maryland's strongest man title holder, Brian Allsrue. Brian owns and trains out of Neversate, a strength facility dedicated to the pursuit of excellence in powerlifting, strongman, and sports conditioning. But beyond that side of Brian's life, he's better known as one of the most transparent, and in some views, hardcore, voices in the strength community. Brian has also overcome some intense physical and mental obstacles to training. In today's episode, we talk about Brian's health battles, training recovery, his inspiring origins in the sport of strongman, and much more. It's an episode a bit different than any we've done before, with a guest unlike any we've had. A quick heads up that some of the topics discussed are extraordinarily serious, and Brian is very open about challenges he's faced regarding mental health and well-being. I do want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Bar Bend podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Brian, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. You have a very interesting story and a really, really interesting history in strength sports. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in strength sports because your professional background before that was counterterrorism. So how do you make that leap to uh, where you are today and, and who was your inspiration behind that? Um, yeah. So, uh, for, first, thank you so much for having me, David. This is, this is awesome. I've listened. I literally was listening to your podcast with silent Mike right before we started recording this. Like, um, I dig what you're doing. So I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, but yeah, my, my story is kind of a interesting and very unique one. Um, the small town where I come from in Maryland actually has a ton of like super athletes for lack of a better term that like win a ton of gold medals or become professional athletes or like one of my buddies who I went to high school with, was Mike Jenkins. And uh, some of your viewers or listeners may um, recognize that name and strongman because he he got up to like number two or three in the world's strongest man and was kind of a fan favorite because he had such positive attitude. But he and I went to high school together and actually were personal trainers together and training partners and things like that. Um, and uh, we ended up splitting parts because I went into counterterrorism and he left to go continue to pursue his uh, strongman career as well as open a gym up in Pennsylvania. And we're both from Maryland. So we were literally apart for probably close to 10 years. And uh, just every once in a while you get contact over social media or text or whatever. Um, but pretty much like his friends do, you just separate. Right. And then um, I actually randomly ran into Mike's very first sponsor who um, now is a huge part of my life, but I had never met the guy before. He told me that he was going to have a Christmas party. He had seen me lifting on YouTube before. 
said he wanted to sponsor me for a strongman competition, except I had never touched a strongman implement. I'd never thought about it, but he sponsored Mike Jenkins. And he said that he was going to have a Christmas party um, and that Mike would be there. And maybe I should show up, catch up with Mike. And maybe Mike could convince me to do the strongman contest. And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll placate you and say that I'll do that. But whatever, I'll come to, I'll come to the Christmas party though and see my friend. Um, except that Thanksgiving morning, instead of uh, planning on going to that Christmas party, we got the call that Mike had died. So uh, he died in his sleep of a enlarged heart. So um, yeah, that, that was pretty much a blow. So instead of going to a Christmas party, we ended up going to a funeral. And at the funeral, I was sitting there and I'm surrounded by all these strong men who these guys flew in from like Iceland and all these crazy places just because Mike was such a good guy. And I saw an intensity in those people. And I was involved in the mixed martial arts world at the time. Uh, but I just found out that I had a brain tumor. Uh, so I couldn't no longer get hit in the head anymore. So those dreams had kind of died. And I was kind of searching for something with intensity. Um, and honestly, all that kept going in my head was when Mike and I used to train together. I always placated him and said, man, yes, I will do a strongman contest with you. Because he was always saying, you're going to be great at this. You're going to be great. But all that I knew of strongman was like guys who were like six foot eight and like 400 pounds. And I'm like, I'm not that. I'm not like a big fat guy. I'm not interested, right? I had no idea there were weight classes and stuff. Anyway, I'm sitting at the funeral going, I always told my friend that I'd do this. I never did. Um, and here we are on the other side. Uh, it's a promise that I I never fulfilled. And that means a lot to me. Uh, so there at his funeral, I turned, I was sitting next to a sponsor and I said, sign me up for the next strongman contest. I never touched an implement. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for Mike. I always told him I would. I'm going to stand up to that and do it. Now, don't get me wrong. I had been lifting weights seriously um, for this entire time. Like it's been part of my life since I was like 13. So it's not like I was unfamiliar with stuff, but yeah, um, literally I got signed up the weekend prior to my competition. I drove up to Mike's old gym where his wife, Carrie, um, who is now Brian Shaw's wife, who is four time world strongest man, awesome guy. Um, but she showed me pretty much how to pick up an Atlas stone and how to press a log. And then the next weekend I went out and competed in my first uh, strongman competition. And then literally about four months later, I quit my counterterrorism job because I was tired of being gone from home all the time, opened my own gym, strongman gym, and uh, started learning about this stuff, started a YouTube channel. And now I'm doing things that I never thought I would ever be able later this week. I'm hanging out, at Elite FTS with Dave Tate, lifting with those guys, being on his podcast, hanging out. Like Dave Tate's like a pillar in the strength world. And I'm like, I never thought Dave Tate would know my name. And now we're hanging out. And I'm like, like I said, before this podcast started, I have no business being where I'm at. It's just been like the grace of a lot of good people. And just, uh, I work hard and things kind of work out after a whole lot of pain, I guess. One thing that I absolutely love about the strength community, and this is, is I think, reflected in your story, is the fact that people are so giving. It's never, it's the first reaction you get from people is not, not what can they get out of you. They're not asking for things. So they're offering things up. And I think some of that, in my experience, goes back to the fact that while these strength sports are more popular now, right? You know, CrossFit's really popular now. Weightlifting's absolutely. grown in the U.S. Powerlifting's grown. Strongman's grown in the U.S., Bat, you know, when you were first finding out about Strongman and getting into it, it wasn't like they were really turning people away. It wasn't like these sports had the luxury of turning people away, right? Because the communities no. were so small. And I think you still feel that today. Is that something you still get today? 
Absolutely. And also um, now I, I, I'm a gym owner, uh, which I never planned on being uh, my whole life. I never wanted to be on YouTube. I never, I'm such an introvert. It's so opposite of anyone would have guessed where I am. Um, and so I've been able to literally, I'm trying not to name drop and be like that guy, but I literally get to work with some of the strongest people in the world, uh, a bunch of world champions. There are world champions at my gym. There are people literally have moved from other countries to train at my gym that are best in their country. And uh, the one thing that I've learned is that no matter how big you are to all the way up to Brian Shaw, who you can't get bigger in the strength world than him. Uh, they all still need to do normal people things because no one's getting rich or famous in strength sports, right? Like there is no, you can be Ed Cone and you still need to do some coaching. You still need to do something else. I'm pretty sure Michael Jordan is set. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so like everyone stays humble. You never get too big because even if you are the biggest world champion in the world, you know that like it wasn't that many years ago when you were looking for someone going, can you look at my squat? I don't know what's wrong with my squat. And like, if someone did not help you along the way, you would not have gotten to where you were. And it wasn't because you paid that guy or whatever. It was because they were like, man, I'm just trying to help you out. And uh, I I don't think you forget that because no one has gotten big enough to, I, I don't know enough about the CrossFit world, but I know they make more money than like anyone in powerlifting, anyone strongman, anyone, you know what I mean? And uh it's just, it's, it's a humbling sport at the end of the day, after, after everything, all you have is a broken body, probably not a whole lot of money and stories that you can only tell a couple people that they'll actually understand and appreciate where the rest of the public will just look at you like you're a psycho. You know what I mean? You gotta have a, you gotta have a little bit of crazy in you, especially in the sport of strongman. Yes. Strongman beats you up. It does. <laughs> so you start competing in the mid 2000s. What was this around 2004, 2005? You said, if I had that correctly, 2014, uh, oh, 2014. I did my contest, opened my strongman gym and did my first national championship. Gotcha. Okay. So in the past, say five, six years, what is your competition history uh, been like? What are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of and what are your goals in the sport? We'll get to, we'll get to some hiccups here in a second here in the podcast, but <laughs> what are some goals that you have as far as a competitor in the sport, you know, over the, the rest of your career? Um, I would definitely say uh, from 2014 to 2016, I competed a lot. Uh, I did every national championship that I could. I did national championships until 2017, I believe, when I got really sick. Uh, but we're going to get into that story. But prior to that, um, virtually every local competition that I entered uh, was a first place, which led me to bigger competitions, which typically led to first place which led me to national championships where I'd continually get my butt kicked. Um, just cause I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough in the sport. I didn't understand a lot of things. I was still learning how to do technique. And um, so it was, it was really, really interesting. Uh, some things that I'm probably most proud of are I worked myself up to a 740 pound squat, a 735 pound deadlift, 505 pound bench press, 330 pound strict, overhead press, uh, 405 pound, like push press pretty easily. Um, and then I got really sick, which <laughs> we're going to talk about. And now I'm coming back. Now my squat is probably about 720 ish. My deadlift is probably about 720 ish. Uh, my upper body, uh, over the course of my sickness, I've had to have multiple surgeries through multiple things. I have a lot of nerve damage. So 
Upper body is coming back. Currently, my bench is probably around 405. Overhead press, probably about 275. So uh, with leg drive, probably mid-300s. So I'm coming back. I'm coming back now. I think within the next year or two, I should be able to eclipse the numbers that I had before. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. But honestly, as far as competitive, I don't know yet. Uh, going through what I just went through um, really changed my perspective on a lot of things in life. And one of which was, I don't know how much more battering my body can take because I'm, I'm going to be 40 years old this year. So I don't know how much more beat up my body can get and still be productive in 20 years uh, versus what my logical brain is thinking that hopefully medical technology <laughs> and I'm just going to be completely fine. It won't be a big deal. Yeah. I'm well, bionic knees. Yeah. Well, I'll be bionic in 10 years. So it doesn't matter. No, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on that too closely. At least I'm not. I know. I know. <laughs> good, but not quite as fast. I'd like to see. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about these, the medical issues you were facing, the illnesses you were facing, because this is something when we talk, when I talk about an athlete and I talk to an athlete's about their medical history, about injuries. It's something a lot of people keep close to the chest. And I get it. Like, I totally get it, right? If you're a competitive athlete, you don't want to exhibit weakness all the time. It's something that we all kind of, I don't know if, if fall victim to is the right phrase, but we don't want to show weakness, especially if it's to our competitors or, or if it's to the public. And a lot of these things are really personal. The medical issues you've gone through over the last few years, you were not only public about, if someone asked you, but you put it out there. You put it out there on YouTube. When we were setting up for this podcast, you're like, hey, here's a video where I explain what I'm going through. And that's really right. fascinating. And a reason I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today is because maybe we'll inspire someone who's going through their own medical issues to be a little bit more open about it, to talk about it, be more public about it, and maybe find people who have gone through something similar or just kind of find that support that putting it out there into the world can, can get sometimes. Again, not always the case, but all that being said, let's talk about over the last three, four, five years some of the medical things you've gone through because it's a, it's a fascinating story and it's not only just overcoming one thing or two things, it's overcoming a lot of things and figuring out how to train through that. Yeah. Um, so, huh, um, where to start? <laughs> where to start? So I, I'm going to have to give you guys like the quick abbreviated down dirty version. Um, because there's so much, there is so much involved in the story and it's been like, yeah, all right, here we go. So I guess probably about three years ago, uh, one day I woke up and I started feeling nauseous when I woke up and I wasn't thinking that I was pregnant. So I figured it must be something else. Cause every single morning I'd wake up and just feel like I was going to vomit, just feel like I was going to puke and it would last for like a couple hours and then kind of waver off and I'd be able to go about my day. Um, and then it just continued to last longer and longer. And then it turned into vomiting Then it turned into vomiting multiple times a day. And then it got to the point where I was throwing up 30 to 50 times a day, every single day, uh, for two years. And my body weight from went from 273 being a literally worldly competitive strongman, uh, all the way down to 216, um, in a matter of months. And then it was more about like what I could hold on to and, uh, I stopped eating. I stopped. Uh, there, there was just a lot. Right. And, um, the most frustrating thing about it all was that 
continually the entire time. I kept going to doctors and new doctors and I'm based in Maryland. So uh, Johns Hopkins is, is right near, right near my house. So that's one of the best medical facilities in the world. And all those doctors are like, we have no idea. You're the most healthy dying person we know. And I have a family friend who is a doctor and she worked night and day doing research, trying to figure it out. Uh, we traveled to go see doctors, did everything. And for two years just went through just hell. It was absolutely hell. I mean, you know how you feel when you have food poisoning or the flu and like you can't stop throwing up. And like, if someone speaks to you, you're like, shut your face. Like, I don't care what comes out. You could tell me that I'm the most beautiful person in the world and I don't want to hear it because I feel terrible right now. You know what I mean? And uh, it was that, it was that every moment for two years. So um, it was really, really challenging (laughs) to say the least. And and And, uh, training, training during this time was extremely limited. I mean, your body weight's your body weight's dropping. You're trying to hold on to what you can. Like training has got to be an afterthought when you're when your first priority is just getting through the day at this point, right? Yes, it, it was. But to be honest with you, training's been part of my life for so long, and it's such like a mental thing for me. Not like the whole like, oh, it's a mental release for me or whatever. Like I need because of my my past and uh, I, not even talking about my past in counterterrorism, but I'm talking about my past as a child. Uh, I have some really traumatic stuff there that made me who I am, that made me get into counterterrorism, that made me get into lifting and uh, all that stuff. Like I need to do something extremely hard every single day, like mentally, physically, like I need to do that or else panic and anxiety and things come over me. Like I need to challenge myself. And uh, so literally every single day, it was all about how long I could push. It was like to, hurry up to fail. Uh, most of the time I could go six to 10 minutes before the puking would completely take over. And then I literally would have trouble coaching. I would have trouble speaking. Um, but I would get like a 10 minute window and I was like, let me design my entire workouts around how badly I can put pain on myself for 10 minutes because I need this mental challenge. I need this physical challenge or I'm going to go home and I'm going to yell at my wife. I'm going to yell at my dog. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Um, my whole thing uh, during this was about suffer beautifully. Like I put it on a t-shirt, I stuck it on banners. I did everything because what I realized is as I started telling my story and other people told me their stories and what I learned was no one really cares about anyone else's problems. And it's not in like a malicious way. Like if you tell me that, that you broke your leg today, I'm going to be like, man, that sucks. Like, I'm sorry. I wish there was something I could do, but the reality of the situation is that tomorrow I'm going to go on about my life and I might think about you, but how much is really going to go on? You know, mm-hmm. And uh, once you start realizing that everyone is too old or too fat, or they have cystic, cystic fibrosis, or they throw up 30 times a day, or they have depression or PTSD, everyone has something and no one is special. No one's thing is any better or any worse than anyone else's because to you, it's a big deal. So everyone's suffering. It's how you suffer. Right. And, so my entire message was just trying to get people to suffer beautifully. And uh, so my training was just trying to pretty much promote that. And uh, it was a lot of suffering, but, but I got through it and uh, it was good. It was, it was really, really good. But um, 
I don't know. Do you want to go into the medical stuff or where do you want to take this, bro? Well, I, I do want to say, I want to get a little bit into that, but I, I have to say it takes a, a, a special kind of person or it takes a special mentality to look back on two years of, of hell. And that's exactly what it sounds like. And to say it was good to say that there was good coming out of that. So putting a positive spin on that is something that I think only a strength athlete will often do in that situation. But, you know, not to go too, too much in the weeds. This isn't a medical podcast. It might be like the Barbend Podcast 2.0 where we dive deep into everyone's sure. specific medical issues. But give us kind of the, the if you can, the 10,000-foot view of some of the specific things you were going through because I think that will help contextualize for listeners exactly, you know, how extreme this got and then how extreme your recovery has been. Um, all right. So, uh, within a two year period, I had five surgeries because my body started failing me because I couldn't hold on to nutrients. Obviously and we can't hold our nutrients. Things break. I had never had, I've had a lot of injuries in my life, right? A lot, but they're all due to fighting, um, like mixed martial arts background, my counterterrorism background. They're all due to that stuff. Nothing. I've never injured myself lifting seriously that I needed surgery until, I started throwing up a whole lot. And then when I couldn't hold on nutrients, I tore my rotator cuff, uh, which led to five different surgeries, a bone marrow infection where I was averse to on house arrest for eight weeks where I had to give myself four needles a day or four, four times a day. I had to give myself four needles a day. It took me like 20 minutes each time. I was at the Arnold with a pick line in my chest uh, giving myself needles in between meeting people and doing things. Um, I've, uh, I've literally been to over probably 200 doctors. I had to go through hyperbaric treatments where they lock you in like virtually a, uh, an MRI machine, except it locks you like a submarine. So they have to cut all the oxygen out. Like you're locked inside there for, I had to do that every single day for two months. It's, a plethora of medications that have made me sick. Uh, it's just been a, uh, it's been tough. It's been tough. Uh, definitely mentally darkest time of my life. Definitely darkest time of my life. I've, I've always been a positive person always been willing to face a challenge. I've broken my back twice. Like I mentioned earlier, I have a brain tumor. I've had medical problems in my life and I've always faced them and continue to train and been through it. But this by far knocked me down the hardest. Um, but after two years of going to doctors and literally everyone saying, you're going to die. We don't know why, but pre literally prepare to die. Like it was terrible. Um, and so after two years, uh, Mark Bell, actually, I saw him at the Arnold where I was giving myself those, uh, those injections into my chest port, my pick line in my, into my chest for all the antibiotics to fight the bone marrow infection that I had at the time. Um, I, I saw Mark Bell, who I was a friend with uh, through prior stuff, through my YouTube thing. And Mark told me, uh, didn't realize how bad my condition was until he saw me. And then he was like, wow, you're dying, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, Mark, I am. So Mark put me in contact with this doctor that deals with nothing but like special operations personnel. She doesn't really deal with the regular community. She deals with like Navy SEALs, Delta, people like that. And some of my background, uh, we go in the same type of places from time to time which don't have like the cleanest water and things like that. So apparently at some point I had been in some water. I didn't drink the water. It wasn't anything like that. I had literally stuck part of my body into water that was dirty. And that 
worms virtually swam through my skin, uh, got into my stomach, and it became something called systemiasis, which kills over 240,000 people in Africa alone every single year. And they don't know. I may have had this for like 10 years. Uh, so, you, so you had you had a long-standing parasite, basically. Yes. It, it could have been up to decades uh, because I had like a kidney failure situation a couple – like literally almost a decade ago that they were like still had no medical reason for. And now that they know they have worms, they're like, well, that was probably worms. So uh, the parasites have just been throwing medical stuff at me over the last decade. And uh, the crazy part was like – a. $3 pill or like a 50 cent pill killed the worms. Now those worms ate part of my brain. So like I still have problems with seizures and now I also have Lyme disease and a couple other things from my previous application of my previous application. And, um, I, that, that I'm going to have to deal with probably for like the next 20 years that I'll continue to deal with. But, uh, yeah, as of now I am parasite free. So I am technically on the mend and now I throw up, much less, uh, I'd say probably between 10 and 15 times a day now. Uh, that's why my voice sounds kind of fried and I need to keep drinking things. But um, yeah, it's it's been a ride. But now I'm back. I'm coming back. So I feel great. I couldn't be happier to be alive. And the strange part is, like you said, I it was hell. It was hell. I thought about suicide regularly. Um, it was just always part of it because honestly – that sounds like a weak thing to say. A lot of guys are like, oh man, that's like weak to say. And I'm like, yeah, you say that. But next time you have the flu or food poisoning, imagine it not ending for two years. So coming out of this two years of hell, something that I'm really curious about, and I've gotten the chance to talk to a few different athletes who have overcome medical issues. What does your training look like when you're on the med? How do you reintroduce training at intensity, training with goals in mind after coming out of a period like that? Um, for me personally, uh, I've never really been about competition. I've, I'm, I'm good at competition and I, I tend to do pretty well, but it's not fun for me and it's not like my motivation factor. So I've never got into lifting so that I could win a trophy. Um, I, I got into lifting because of my mixed martial arts background and then counterterrorism. So it was always about being able to be as capable and honestly as dangerous as possible. So that like when a dare to be great situation rose up, I would be able to answer the call instead of uh, honestly someone taking my life or whatever the case may be. Right. So um, when it became training literally for my life again, except against kind of the, the disease uh, it just became what I needed most. So it started out like I talked about, I never really lost the conditioning or like a really hard mentally challenging 10 to 20 minute session, um, which always involved some sort of random object, whether it be like a sandbag or a log or an Atlas stone, or sometimes even just a barbell, but doing a big compound movement just again and again, like on the, on the minute where I shrunk the rest times. After that, then it became about trying to gain a little bit of my strength again. Um, and I've always lifted in giant set form. So I don't do like traditional straight sets of like five sets of five or anything like that. I'm always, it's almost like circuit training, except with like bigger compound movements. Um, so then I was able to start add that back in. Once I could do like a hard conditioning, then strength stuff, then I started being able to do a little bit more assistance. And then after the assistance became like more of a finisher. And now I'm able to, 
kind of get back to training for real now. Like I'm, I'm kind of back on. You talked earlier when we were when we were prepping for this podcast. I asked about you know training partners, and a question I often ask people is, "Who's your dream training partner?" And you had a great answer for that, and the answer was no one. And it's the first time I've actually gotten that answer. You're someone who prefers to train alone. Why is that? Tell us a little bit about your mindset there. Um, man, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this. I sound like a complete jerk, um, <laughs> but like it's it's not that like people can't physically keep up with me. Right. But in order for me to push the way that I need to push, I go places inside my mind that other people don't go to and not necessarily like a negative spot. I know a lot of people dock into like negative stuff to like lift things like killing puppies and listen to like death slayer music and stuff. And that's not me at all. I listen to like reggae music or like, like Otis Redding when I lift, you know what I mean? Like, I'm all about positive vibes, but like I go to different intense places in my mind because I've had a very intense life. And um, so I draw upon different things. And even if it's just about being as able to execute as well as possible, then I really need to focus on my cues and I really need to focus on certain things. And when people talk to me or people even are like, come on, man, you got this. Like, I don't really hear it, but I'd rather it not be there. Mm -hmm. When I'm, when I'm in the gym, I'm always surrounded by people who really support me and they care about my, my success as much as they care about their success. And they're my brothers and my sisters and I love them, but no one does exactly what I'm doing. We don't work out together. Right. Um, and I don't do what anyone else is doing when they're squatting. I stop what I'm doing because it's more important to me to watch them. And if they need something, I'm there. Right. But I wouldn't call it training partners. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, there's a team. It's like a practice at my gym where like the team shows up and the team practices. And if someone needs something, someone's there. But for the most part, like if you talk, you talk, but if I'm completely silent, silent all session long, no one looks at it as like, Oh, he's in a bad mood. People are like, he's just in his thing. Like in so much of my time, especially coming out of that sickness. I mean, to say that I would be crying, I'd be sobbing during my workout out of thankfulness. Sometimes I was just so thankful that like I lived and I was able to do something that I loved. And that like, I work with a lot of adaptive athletes who have lost their arms or have lost their legs or have uh, some mental issue or like some physical issues like miles Taylor, who everyone knows miles Taylor. He goes to my gym and uh, he has cerebral palsy. You watch miles go every single day. And somehow you look at puking 30 to 50 times a day. And you're like, yeah, I got something too. He's got something. His isn't worse than mine. Mine's not worse than his. We're just getting through it together, right? And we're trying to do it smiling. And when someone would come up and like be like, oh man, my boss is mad at me at my gym. No lie. Since I'm the owner, we will throw you out. Because like, there's no need for that, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone's dealing with something. If it doesn't make us better, we keep it out of the gym. And too many times in my life, a training partner needs a therapist. They don't need somebody to like, push them on. They want to talk to you about their day or their job. And I'm like, bro, I love you. But right now this is about you getting better and me getting better. Like, let's do that. We'll talk after. And, uh, it's such fun. People do that. And the people who do that tend not to want those people either. And so they just do what they want to do. And you're there for each other when you need each other. And you're, you're more of a team. You know what I mean? What are some tips you might have for people who are 
lacking for people who lack intensity in their training. Let me rephrase for people who might have difficulty going to that intense place or reaching that intensity. You know, obviously it's, you know, don't check your phone during the middle of training. Don't sure. treat it. Don't treat it like the work water cooler where you're just gossiping between sets. Cause it takes your mindset out of there. But what are some things that people can do to be more present in their training and to gradually level up their mental intensity during that training? I think people need to change the way a lot of people look at training as like a chore, like something they need to do or like, I don't enjoy training. Like everyone's like, Oh, you must love it. I'm like, no man, I've done it 25 years. Like, like it, nothing you do it because it's part of your life. You don't do it. Cause every single day you're like, yay, I get to go squat 20 reps. Like that doesn't happen very often, you know? Um, and a lot of people need to realize what a gift they have, not only physically, because I deal with people all the time who don't have their legs, you would die to feel the burn of a set of 20 squats. They would literally give up 20 years of their life to feel that again, because they lost their legs in an accident. Right. Um, and when you see that and you see it as a gift, then it kind of changes a little bit in your head. Um, and then number two, I think not only is it a gift in that way, but it's a gift to push yourself mentally. There's so many places or so few times in your life when you get to really, really push yourself to a place where you either need to choose to persevere or you need to choose to quit. Uh, it doesn't happen in your job very often. It doesn't happen with your relationships very often. Like very few times can you put a weight on a bar and go, I am going to do this until I literally am screaming inside my head to quit and I will get the chance to make a decision how far I want to push this. There are very few times in your life that you could do that with anything other than physical, physical activity. And so few people will go there because they want to avoid the pain. We live in a hedonistic culture where everyone wants the pleasure and they want it now. But like there is such beauty in suffering and such beauty in learning how to deal with hard things. Cause the truth of the matter is if you learn how to deal with a hard set of squats, then that bleeds over into other areas of life. Then you learn how to deal with a hard issue at work, which might help you deal with a hard issue at home, which might help you deal with that phone call you get at two o'clock in the morning where like someone that you deeply care about, you have a real problem in your life now and you need to learn how to deal with it. And if you haven't learned how to persevere instead of just quit when things get hard, then that could crush you or it could make you be on Prozac for the rest of your life, or it could make you commit suicide. Right. And you have a chance to build mental toughness every single day, whether it be a set of pushups, going for a run, doing a set of deadlifts or yoga. I don't know. Right. Like it doesn't need to be super hardcore. Like anything can be hardcore. It's just how far you want to take it. And like, you can learn from that every single day. And if you don't, then you got weaker right? Like I get stronger every single day, every single day I get stronger. And if I didn't do that from the time that I was a young man, then when I started throwing up 50 times a day, trust me, I would have eaten a bullet, like no doubt in my mind, but I didn't because I just learned how to focus on the next step or the next second or the next minute or the next rep or the next round or the next whatever. That's how I learned how to get through life at a young age. And that's exactly how a Navy SEAL gets through his training that's exactly how a chemo patient makes it through the next day. And that's exactly how you make through a hard workout, except there's not as big of consequences. So if you can learn it now in like an easy thing, like a Tabata overhead press, if you can learn it there, learn it there. Don't learn it when you're going through chemo, right? Like 
Be strong when you go through chemo so that you can support your family and you can live and you can be prosperous and you can suffer beautifully. Like learn it now when you're healthy, when you're happy, learn to suffer beautifully now, because trust me, like time wins. You're going to lose your biceps. You're going to lose your deadlift PR time wins. And if you don't build something mentally, then you're going to absolutely fall when things get hard. So it's just, you have an awesome opportunity. And I just hope everyone can take advantage of that because that's that's the beauty in training is you look back and you might remember your deadlift PR, but you're always going to remember some stupid drop set that you did with some guys in high school of like 21 curls where you're like, I can honestly say that was the hardest I've ever worked in my life. Or like, you know what I mean? Those stupid workouts, those are what you remember. That's 50 years from now when you're in a wheelchair sitting on your porch because you don't have knees, you're going to remember those things. It's not going to matter if you had a 705-pound deadlift or a 710 pound deadlift. It's going to be the relationships you built, the mental things that you learned. That's the game. And I just hope people realize that sooner than later. Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. Where is the best place for people to keep up to date with what you're doing and with your gym? Um, you can check out my YouTube, which uh, is a pretty decent size, but I'm always looking for people. I do a lot of instructional stuff there. And that is just Brian Alzru, which is my name, uh, which hopefully will be linked on here. So you guys can just look it up and spell it out. But you're, you'd mess it up. I mess it up all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll be all linked to the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> It's not easy. Um, and then also on Instagram and everywhere else, you can find me at Neversate, which is like never satiated. Uh, N-E-V-E-R-S-A-T-E. If you just look that up, I am the only never state there is. And I'm also one of five Alzru's in the world. It's a made up last name. So you look up either one of those things, you will find everything about me online. Awesome. Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. 